The Tom Woods Show, episode 1256. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Man, if you want to look your best, make sure you're wearing a suit that was made for you, not just for some generic man. Well, this week, my listeners can get any premium made-to-measure Indochino suit for just $359 at Indochino.com when entering Woods at checkout. Hey, everybody. Tom Woods here. Walter Block's back on the program again. And it's good news today. It's good news. It's not just the government is doing 27 other terrible things we didn't know about. We have to cover that. As you know, I don't shrink from covering stuff like that. But once in a while, you just have to get that injection of good news, of inspiration, let's say. Inspiration. That's what we're going to get today. But before I turn to Walter, I do want to say something about one of the two people who was just named as the Nobel Prize winner in economics. And by the way, in parentheses, I know that technically speaking, the economics prize is not technically the Nobel Prize. It doesn't matter. Please don't write to me about that. I already know that, okay? The point is, the winners, or one of the winners, is a guy named William Nordhaus. Now, Nordhaus is a bad choice for a number of reasons, but what's interesting about Nordhaus in particular to me is that starting in 1985, he began doing revisions of and being named as a co-author of the economics textbook that Paul Samuelson had written many years earlier, and that textbook is simply called Economics. It's considered to be the best-selling economics textbook of all time. So it's no longer just Samuelson. It's now Samuelson Nordhaus. And it's Keynesianism. Samuelson was maybe the best-known American Keynesian. He was a popularizer of Keynesianism by means of the vehicle of that textbook. Generations of college students have had their brains warped by that textbook. So some time ago, I turned to a professor friend of mine, Jeff Herbener, and I said, what I need you to do, because it's never been done, nothing like this has ever been done, I need you to create a course where you take the Samuelson slash Nordhaus textbook and you go through chapter by chapter, and for each chapter, you give us a free market, Austrian school-inspired critique. Now, there's nothing like that out there. We have man economy and state. We have human action. But if you think the arguments in those books are going to answer everything you find in a typical textbook, you're wrong because just open up a typical textbook. There are a lot of concepts in there that are not directly addressed in Rothbard and Mises. Now, that's not to say that you couldn't take what you learned from Rothbard and Mises and manipulate it and think about it and twist it around and turn it into a response. But I'm just saying that if you look at a mainstream textbook, you will not be able to go to Rothbard and Mises and immediately find specifically what the answer is, what the response is. So I said, that's what we need. So many college kids are getting their economics this way. That's what we need. Chapter by chapter, show me what's wrong. And he did that. And I now give that course away as a free bonus to people who support the show. It's called What's Wrong with Textbook Economics. If you support the Tom Woods Show at the silver level or above, that's one of the, see, I'm always telling you, you get great bonuses. That's a great bonus. And I'm highlighting it today because obviously of the Nordhaus announcement. So other people are gonna be bending the knee and waving incense before Nordhaus, but you won't. 
you and I will know the truth thanks to this course. So how do you get it? Become a supporting listener over at supportinglisteners.com, and that is one of the many bonuses you get along with transcripts of the interviews and discounts at a lot of places that you like to shop for libertarian gear and membership in my private group and signed books and all kinds of wonderful things. So supportinglisteners.com is where you want to go. Now let's talk to Walter Block here. This is great. This is fun. This is going to make you happy today. Walter joined us. Well, let's see. I talked to him over the summer, didn't I, at the Mises Institute, and we talked a little bit about his background and some of his personal stories, and that was really a terrific episode. Before that, in one of the other times he's appeared on the show, we had him on to celebrate an extraordinary milestone he had reached, 500 peer-reviewed scholarly articles, which is the equivalent of 10 to 20 successful careers. It's just amazing. And he's, he's well past that number now. Well, today we want to talk about another milestone and, and just to appreciate Walter the Professor. Now, if you don't know who Walter Block is, he is an extremely, obviously prolific libertarian theorist. He's an Austrian school economist as well as a libertarian theorist. He's written many books, most notoriously his book Defending the Undefendable, which, by the way, is one of a handful of books John Stossel cites as having helped him see the truth of libertarianism. Walter has written on virtually every topic under the sun, many books, many, many, many articles, I mean 500 scholarly articles. Then, of course, there are many, many, many newspaper articles, in articles in non-peer-reviewed journals, many, many lectures, debates. Walter is just a machine in terms of libertarian productivity. Absolutely amazing. But what has gone perhaps neglected or has not been remarked on very much up to now is Walter Block as a professor. Walter's been a professor at several places, but since 2001, he's been a professor at, I think it's 2001, Loyola University in New Orleans. And what he's done to get students interested in economics and to encourage them and to help them in their lives and careers is nothing short of amazing. So here's the milestone Walter just reached. Walter has now published 100 articles that he has co-authored with his own undergraduate students. Undergraduate students never, I mean virtually never, get an article published in an academic journal. So that is amazing. Now there are a few of these articles Walter did not co-author. He just took the student's paper and got it published, helped to move it through the peer review process. And it was because in a few cases they were articles he didn't agree with but he thought they were good and they made some points that needed to be reckoned with and he got them published. That's amazing. I've never heard anything like that. That's great. And it's a source of pride, I think, that we can say he's one of us. One of our people did that. And we're supposed to be these closed-minded ideologues who don't want to hear anybody else's point of view because we have the one true faith. And yet look at Walter. It's just amazing. What a wonderful thing that is. And I thought, let's talk about this. This is great. We should be so happy. I'm thrilled. So enough chit-chat. Let's get Walter on. You can visit him at walterblock.com, by the way, and get a sense of the sheer scope of his writing. Walter, welcome back. It's always a delight to be with you, Tom, whether in person or on the air like now. Thank you so much. Well, 
I've just got done telling people about this amazing milestone. 500 peer-reviewed articles is quite a milestone. And now, by this point, by the way, you've zoomed past that. I mean, you're actually now approaching 600. It's getting ridiculous, Walter. So I think I'm at the 575 now. It's just crazy. All right, it's amazing. But I think you're probably equally pleased with this other milestone, which is you've now reached 100 articles that you've either co-authored with students of yours or that you have, in cases where the student actually disagrees with you, but you think that the paper has merit, you've helped that article get published in a professional journal. Highly unusual on so many grounds. First of all, the most basic ground, it's highly unusual for an undergraduate to get published in an academic journal. Very, very, very few undergraduates have such publications. But then also for a professor to be so concerned for the success, long-term success of students as to be willing to put in the work to co-author articles with them and see those articles through the publication process and then even be willing to put forth articles that are in disagreement with him. I dare say this has never been done. I mean, here and there, maybe a professor writes an article with a student, but a hundred times as a part of a deliberate campaign to help these students, that's got to be unheard of. And so it's another reason that I'm really proud you're in our camp because you're just a decent person on top of everything else. Well, Tom, you're very kind and I thank you. Uh, uh, I must say that these hundred are all in referee journals or law reviews, which are very similar. Uh, they uh, give you professional uh, uh, brownie points. But I must have another 50 that are not in uh, referee journals, but are in, oh, I don't know, uh, Fee or uh, Mises or something, but not refereed. And let me tell you the story about how I, I got refereed. Uh, what happened was when you publish in a, a history journal or a, a psychology journal or, uh, or a um, economics journal or any most journals that I'm aware of, you're only allowed to send one at a time. But law reviews are different. You're allowed to send to law reviews, oh, uh, as many as you want. And I don't know, uh, my list has got around 700 of them. So one day, uh, this was when I was at Holy Cross, and I had already published maybe 50 articles with students, co-authored, but not in law, uh, not in law reviews and not in uh, scholarly journals. What happened is I had an article I sent out, uh, call it uh, Article X. And uh, Article X was accepted by uh, a law review of X. Plus, and then Law Review Y called me and said, "Hey, uh, we'd like to uh, publish uh, this article X." And I wrote to Y and I said, "Sorry, Y, I can't publish with you because X uh, Journal uh, beat you to it, and I agreed to publish with them." And then this uh, Y Journal, I forget which one it was. I can probably look it up. The Y Journal said, "Well, have you got anything else?" that we could publish because we like what you write. And right on top of my desk, I remember I had my feet up on my desk and I had a pile of student essays, term papers, that I was going to send to, uh, you know, non-scholarly journals. And I said, wait a second, maybe I'll send, I'll send one of these articles to this law review. It was the Glendale Law Review. And it wasn't the Harvard Law, law Journal. It was the Glendale Law Review. And they accepted it. And I said, whoop-de-doo, wow, I've got something going here. I can get these student papers published not in uh, non-referee journals, but in referee journals. And ever since then, I never sent another student article to a, a non-referee journal because I figured, you know, a referee journal is uh, you get more feathers in your cap and more brownie points. And that was the inception of how I started sending these to uh, 
uh, to referee journals. And the first one on my list was a paper published by Megan Clay. And uh, this was a, a free market for human organs. Uh, and it was in the Journal of Social, Political, and Economic Studies. And this was in 2002 when I started that. I was still at, um, I, I, th this girl was at uh, Holy Cross, but I, I didn't get tenure there. Uh, I got kicked out for my many sins. And I was now at uh, Loyola, but th this the first few were from uh, Holy Cross. That was the last of the Holy Cross ones. My other Holy Cross students were all in uh, non-referee journals. The second one is an interesting story. Uh, Jenny Dermar, who is now a professor uh, uh, and an Austrian economist, and what happened when I uh, did my job interview at uh, Loyola University here, I, I gave uh, my usual lecture, you know, why is it that certain countries are rich? And uh, I called on students and what I expected is, well, they have a lot of resources or they have a good history or the, I don't know, the, the whatever, you know, uh, resources and skilled labor and, and this and that and the other. And they were all wrong. Because, you know, Japan has got no resources, Hong Kong's got no resources, and yet they had economic development. The right answer is economic freedom. So this girl, Jenny, she was, I don't know, a freshman or a sophomore then. She pipes up economic freedom, ruining my whole lecture. So I started yelling at her. I said, you ruined my whole lecture. You know, I was going to go through this and it's going to take me 10 minutes. And, you know, she was laughing and everyone was laughing. So I think that uh, Jenny helped me get this job right here because that it was sort of funny. So that was the second one. Now, I'm not going to go through all 100 because we'll be here, uh, we'll be here forever, but I do want to you know, talk at the first two and maybe uh, uh, one by Tunisia Arsenault and maybe uh, one by Sayers, uh, Rachel Sayers. Uh, these are two young ladies, women, girls, whatever you want to call them. I'm not sure what's politically correct now. Neither one could I co-author because I didn't really agree with either of them. But uh, these are, I think uh, out of the hundred, I have five that I didn't co-author. And uh, these are two of them. And the reason I couldn't co-author them is because I disagreed with them. And I gave these two girls A's, uh, even though they were both uh, pinko commies, because they were good pinko commies. <laughs> I mean, they were very, very uh, uh, beautiful writers. They wrote like angels. And it was good left stuff. In other words, I, I acknowledge that, you know, obviously Austro-libertarianism is, is the correct view, in my view. But if you're going to attack it, there are good attacks and then there are bad attacks. And these were good attacks. These both girls got A's in my class. And I feel that I want to promote my students' uh, welfare and, and, and their careers. And I want to promote my students' welfare and careers, even if they disagree with me. And even if they're going to be intellectual enemies of mine, they're still my students. And I have a loyalty to my students and I want to promote their careers. So five out of these hundred, of which I'm very, very proud, are uh, students who um, disagreed with me. Whether those students or the 95, I'm just curious in general, what's been the response of the students? Are, are they, do they get the significance of this or is it, oh, yeah, that's kind of neat. Uh, Professor Block's a little weird. He did something with my paper. Or are they saying, whoa, hey, that's really great. Well, I think that the ones who went into academia afterward think, wow, the, you know, uh, I mean, the way you get tenure and promotion in academia is you publish in referee journals. When they talk about publish or perish, that's what they mean. Whereas students who don't go into academia, 
I don't think they appreciate that. I, I and, and and it's interesting because right after uh, I send it off to a, a referee journal, a week later they come to me and they say, "Well, well, is it going to be published?" And usually it takes like six months. For oh, I know, to- I know. So now they know what it's <laughs> like being one of us. Right. So, you know, so that's a whole new uh, sort of a thing. But there are students of mine like Dan D'Amico uh, in 2007. I published a thing with him and, and probably when he was an undergraduate student or Jenny Dermar, who I just spoke about, when they were undergraduates, they probably didn't appreciate this. But um, afterward, uh, I think they, they do appreciate it because it's very rare that um, uh, students would uh, get uh, their term papers published in referee journals. What do you think is of, of these papers? Well, let's say not is, let's say are the papers that you think are the most outstanding or provocative or interesting or exciting or surprising to you or what? I mean, of course, it's a novelty that they exist at all, that you've done any of this. But are there any that you look at and say, you know, doggone it. I mean, this this could have been written by, uh, you know, a grad student or even beyond. Are they like, I really, really got an insight from this paper. Well, that's a nasty question, and I refuse to answer it. It's sort of like asking, which of my kids do I love the most? Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Tom, you've got five girls. Which one do you love the most? Yeah, I know it. I know it. I know it. That's true. I withdraw that question. Uh, (laughs) I'm a professor, so if you don't want to answer questions, what you do is you turn the question into something else you can answer. Okay. (laughs) And uh, what what I was doing is I was looking down the list of undergraduate students who are now professors. I'm still sticking with your previous um, question, namely, do they appreciate it? And in addition to Jenny Dermar and uh, Dan D'Amico, there's also Nick Snow and Ed Stringham, who were former students of mine and uh, who are on my list of uh, publications. And I'm, I'm, lo- I'm only at number 30 now, and I'm sort of looking down, down the list at um, other people who were professors of my, uh, who are now professors and I don't see any. Uh, I'm 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 still looking. A lot but of these. Kids I see. Were, if, I see a few familiar names who, who are not in academia, but I know who are very active in our movement. Ah, uh, for example, like Anton Chamberlain. Oh yes, yes. I see well, him quite uh, a bit. Yes, he's now. Uh, he just graduated one one year ago, uh, last year, last May, and he's probably uh, distinguished also in some ways because I think I've got four or five of his co-authored. Uh, I was hoping for eight. Because he was here for four years, and I was hoping to get one every semester, but I don't think I, I got him. I, I'll tell you what. I will now word search for Antone, and there are only four results. Uh, <laughs> so I only did four with him, but uh, what the heck, um, the, that's, that's pretty good. And I think um, I seemed, I'm pretty sure Gage Counts is uh, an active libertarian. I could be wrong about that, but I feel pretty confident about that. But anyway – what matters here is that you've done something I don't think any professor has ever done, and it's a beautiful thing. So when did you start doing this? I mean, I see these articles going all the way up through – I see one from 2016. There might be some later than that. But how far – what is the – when did you say the first one was? I remember I told you that little story about you know my – Yeah, uh, yeah. What was the year there? The light bulb. It was probably 2000 – no, no. It was probably – gosh – 19. See, I was at Holy Cross from 91 to 97, and then I was at uh, Central Arkansas from 97 to 2001, and then I got here in 2001. So it probably started in 2001, uh, sorry, in 1997, where I got this uh, this ingenious idea. 
so I've been at it uh, for, you know, about 20 years. Oh, that's really something. So do you tell everybody when they're working on a paper, there's a chance that I might work with you to get it published? Or do you get the papers and look at them, find a couple good ones, and then privately approach those people? No, no. Uh, what I do um, is, you know, I, I once got in trouble because I, I didn't ask these kids to do it. I just said, oh, this is a great paper. I'm going to co-author it. And I sent it to some girl and she was appalled and, and astounded and, and horrified that I would take her paper and add to it. So my dean, Pat O'Brien here, uh, suggested that from now on, what I do, you know, nowadays, if you want to go to bed with a woman, you have to get her to sign something. Uh, I agree to have sex. Otherwise, you get in trouble. Well, <laughs> I've never had that occur to me. But what I do with these students is I say at the beginning of the semester, and I put this in my uh, syllabus. So on the very first day, I say, look, I've got oh, 70 or 80 and 90 and now 100 uh, student term papers uh, that are published. And uh, I don't see any reason why uh, I can't get a few from this class. Now, I don't get every student term paper published. I mean, I'll have 20 students in a, in a class and maybe two or three I will decide that are good enough to get published. But I'll tell you one thing. I have a perfect record. Every one that I've ever picked to co-author has got published. So it's not that I pick one and, and uh, I co-author it and then uh, it doesn't get published. They all get published. But out of, say, 20 students, I'll only pick two or three. And then what I'll do is I'll say, would you like to be in my uh, student publication program? If so, write me uh, the following letter. And what the letter says is, Dear Professor Block, I hereby give you permission to uh, pretty much do with my paper whatever you damn well please. Namely, uh, edit it, add to it, maybe pick in a, a second or a third co-author. And uh, what I did with um, this colleague of mine, Leo Krasnodar, who just got tenure, is I put him on two or three papers. Let me uh, see how many uh, he was on. Uh, two different papers uh, he co-authored with me and a student, and I think that helped him get tenure. So I'm just delighted that I was able to help my uh, colleague now and friend, uh, Leo John get tenure because uh, two of the papers that he had in order to get tenure, and he had all around 12 or so in uh, six years, which is pretty good, two or three a year. And two of them were uh, I added him to a, a student term paper. So to get back to this letter, what I say is uh, write me this letter. Dear Professor Block, I give you permission to add to uh, my paper, edit it, and um, uh, maybe add in a second or third co-author, and then try to get it published. And then they sign that. And then they can't complain, hey, you know, what did you do with my paper? I didn't give you permission for that. So I, I keep those in a drawer and I have those papers uh, done. And then what I do, see, a lot, what I did before, and I taught many years before, I've been teaching since, oh, 1964, 1965, I think, maybe 66, I forget. And usually what most teachers do when they have a term paper is they just uh, tell their students, well, write me a term paper and it's due the last day of class or the day of the final exam and that's it. What I do is I torture my students. What I do is I first say, okay, you have to send me a hundred word abstract of what you want to do. 
And uh, if I don't like it, uh, if I don't think it's publishable, uh, I say, no, 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 uh, I don't accept this. Try again. And, you know, I give him feedback as to what you could do. You know, what are you interested in? Let's. And uh, usually I want them to say something like uh, the free enterprise system is the greatest thing since sliced bread and uh, the minimum wage is no good or free trade is great or something like that. And I can get those kind of things published, whereas sometimes I'll get all sorts of weird things and I can't get them published. So I say, no, that's not an acceptable paper. So then what I do is I say the term paper is due, the first draft of the term paper is due, oh, um, uh, in the middle, two thirds of the way through the semester. And then what I do is I get each student to uh, have a buddy. So A and B uh, are buddies. A edits B's paper and B edits A's paper. And, and I've never heard of any professor asking students to edit other people's papers. And I go through a long song and a dance about how, how you edit papers. You know, uh, if it's not clear, write out the, the other guy that it's, it's not clear. There was a, um, a very famous um, Mel Brooks film where there were some homosexuals and uh, they were trying on dresses, and one of them said to the other, be brutal in your criticism, you know, just among us folk, because if you're not brutal, when I go to the ball, they'll be brutal. So so I tell my students, even if it's your friend, be brutal, because uh, who cares now? You know, we, we want to make this paper the best paper we can. And then I tell my students, I'm going to mark you as an editor. And if this is a perfect paper, which is very rare, and you mark it up, then you get a bad mark. If it's a perfect paper, don't touch it. On the other hand, if it's a lousy paper, I want to see a lot of red scrawl on in your handwriting fixing up the paper. So each kid edits the other paper. And if I have an odd number of kids in the class, like 17 or 19 or 21, then I have several pairs of students. And then X edits Y's paper and Y edits Z's paper and Z edits X's paper. So every student has an edited paper of a fellow student. And then what I do to add to the torture is I start commenting on the editor's comments and also on the paper itself. And then uh, like three weeks or a month before the, the last day, the student then rewrites the paper and you know, I'll say, well, you know, you forgot footnotes and for every time you quote somebody, I want to see a citation and, you know, things like that. And, and this is unclear. And, and, you know, I, I edit the paper and then at the end of the semester, at the final exam or whenever the paper is due, finally I get the paper. And now what I do is I edit it some more and then I start adding to it. Like I'll add some footnotes or I'll add in a paragraph here and a paragraph there. And then finally I send it out. So it's sort of like a five-stage process. First they send me an abstract, then they edit each other's paper, then I comment on the paper, then they have to comment on my comments, and then finally I add to the paper. So it's it's a pain in the neck. Well, no, it's a labor of love. I love doing this. I love promoting my students' uh, careers. And this is one way that I can get them to promote their careers because, you know, writing is important. You know, when I have a, a class of, oh, I don't know, 80, I don't give essays because I'm not a masochist. I give multiple choice. But when I have uh, one of the good things about Loyola is you get small classes and I'll get a class of 10, 12, 16, 20. And uh, then I give uh, essays, exams of midterm and final. And then I can also get them the right term papers because 
you know, the students that graduate here are not going to get jobs asking you if you want fries with that. They're going to get jobs where they have to write something or speak something and I also get them to give a speech about their paper uh, toward the end of the semester, uh, which helps uh, get the paper a little bit better. So I'm trying to promote my students' welfare, my students' careers, and uh, I do so by torturing them with this writing process. And that's how the term papers get done. Walter, let me take just a minute to improve the lives of my listeners even beyond just this conversation. Men, if you want to look your best and dress to impress, you have to wear suits that were made for you, not for some generic man or a mannequin. Well, Indochino makes suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. And I can tell you from personal experience, it's a very easy online process. You can also see a stylist in their showroom and still use my coupon code. How about that? They're also expanding into casual clothing. Your made-to-measure chinos will quickly become your go-to pant, pairing as easily with a suit jacket as they do with a sweater. And they'll be good any time of year for any occasion, from boardroom meetings to Sunday brunches. Indochinos at an introductory price of $79 US, and they won't be baggy and look ridiculous because they were made for you. Well, this week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $359 at Indochino.com when entering Woods at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit, plus shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code Woods, for any premium suit for just $359 and free shipping. That's an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Walter, let me say something that maybe you don't want me to say, but doesn't matter. My show, I'm saying it. <laughs> and I want to first start off by asking, did you start this while you were still at the University of Central Arkansas or have all these papers been written since you're at Loyola? Uh, I think one or two came from my Holy Cross students. But and, and, you know, I hate to say this, but my students at the University of Central Arkansas were not that good. And I don't think I got any papers out of my four years there. But the students at Loyola are really excellent. Some of them are really, really excellent. I mean, I've, I've got, um, you know, many of them are now in graduate school and, and getting PhDs, like you just mentioned, Anton Chamberlain. Um, Lucas Engelhardt is another uh, a colleague of ours. He's a, a yep. fellow professor of ours at the, the Mises Institute, and I got him as a third co-author for a student. I saw that. Uh, Gage Counts is also one, and yes, he is certainly a libertarian, and uh, Richard Fast is now at Troy University. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, Anton Chamberlain and Richard Fast are both at Troy University, which is sort of an Austrian one. Uh, uh, you've got uh, two more of our colleagues teaching at uh, Troy from the Mises, the, um, the GP and Malvika. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So, um, all right. Well, so, so now let me get on to the thing that you don't want me to say. Okay. Um, although maybe in your heart of hearts, you do want me to say it. Okay. It's this. It's this. If we lived in a normal world with normal people, who had normal human emotions and reactions, your university would be shouting this accomplishment from the rooftops. They would be using it for recruitment. They would be alerting alumni. We have a professor who has published with a hundred of our students to get them published in peer-reviewed journals of all kinds around the world. Nobody at any university can boast something like that. But instead, because Walter Block is not fashionable, I'm just going to take a wild guess that there hasn't been a peep from them. Am I right? I hate to agree with you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> 
I did send this into our publicity people uh, a week or two ago, and I haven't heard from them. And since then, they do publicize stuff. You know, every every week or so, there'll be uh, Professor Jones did this, and Professor Smith did that, and then Professor Green did this, and Professor whatever blue yellow did that. Uh, they haven't seen fit to publicize this, and uh, there are reasons for it. Now, I'm very happy here because all four of my economics department are all Austro-Libertarian, even anarcho-capitalists. And we have Nick Capaldi, who uh, teaches business ethics, who's a, a libertarian. We have two guys in the law schools. So we have seven, which is a stupendously high number, and, and there are only about 250 other professors. So our percentage is very high of Austro-Libertarian or Libertarian professors. Uh, the business ethics and law, they're not Austrian because they're not economists, but they're Libertarians. Whereas at Next Door Tulane, there's only one, and it, at uh, LSU, our flagship university, there's not one single libertarian professor there. So we've got a lot of professors who are free market right here, but we are not really liked by the upper administration. We are not really appreciated by most of the faculty. Most of the faculty, you know, I got in trouble with the New York Times about the slavery. Uh, I'm sure you know all about that. I I uh, try to say that uh, if slavery were voluntary, if people agreed to it, it wouldn't be so bad. It would be pretty good. And the New York Times quoted me as saying, well, actually, uh, Block thinks actual slavery is good. So a lot of students here won't take my classes. A lot of uh, professors won't speak to me because I think I favor slavery, for God's sake. What I'm a libertarian. Wait, you, you have articles in favor of reparations for slavery, morons. You know, I mean, really? <laughs> yes, I, I, I and uh, several of the, the students, uh, like the Tunisia Arsenault, wrote this thing about um, we should have reparations for, for black uh, slaves, uh, namely reparations to present-day black grandchildren of slaves, we should have reparations. So certainly if I favor reparations for slavery, I can't favor slavery. Uh, but yet, uh, th this is the, the reality. I, I just sent an, an article uh, to the Maroon, which is the student newspaper, and uh, trying to clear this up, and they rejected it because it's uh, racist and sexist and whatever. So uh, I'm not very much appreciated here outside of the economics department. Uh, even in the business school, most of the uh, professors are, you know, not free enterprise. They're uh, moderate um, interventionists, call it that, if you will. Uh, one of my uh, litmus tests is the minimum wage, you know, uh, <laughs> and uh, virtually all of my uh, colleagues, even in the business school, love the minimum wage. And, you know, uh, God knows what they think about the minimum wage law in sociology. You know, they, they think it should be raised to $10,000 an hour, I guess. I don't know. So uh, the, to answer your question, I'm very long-winded. I'm sorry. Uh, to answer your question, no, uh, so far, no publicity about this. And yet I, I do agree with you. I'll pat myself on the back and say that this is a very rare thing. And I don't know that any other professor on, on the planet has uh, co-authored uh, in referee journals a uh, hundred of, uh, of uh, term papers for his students. So I'd like to see that change. Uh, in, in the, I'd like to see publicity for this because you really would have to be mentally deranged not to publicize something like that. I mean, this is, this is a feat that's not been duplicated or even tried by pretty much anybody in academia. And you've got somebody on the faculty who's doing it who has done it, who's reached a hundred such publications, and you're not going to say a word. I mean, it's, I seriously would worry about your mental health. But <laughs> Professor Jones, but, but Professor Jones just wrote another derivative paper about nothingness that nobody cares about. But Professor Block over here, who, by the way, has written 575 articles, so he's written more than entire departments at this university, has also got a hundred publications with students. I just, so to me, that's the story. 
That's the story. These people are, I mean, it, it makes me want to make a video shaming them, but I don't want to put you in an uncomfortable position. Oh, no, no. Uh, I'm I'm all for shame. <laughs> right. Shame is how libertarians enforce social norms, right? That's right. Well, look, to be fair to Loyola, I only sent this about a week ago, and it's possible that they will give me some publicity, and maybe as a result of this interview, they will. And also, uh, my colleague, um, uh, Amy Keeler, who's in charge of um, uh, publicity within the business school, she will certainly give me publicity on this. So, uh, all right, it, okay. It's not all bad. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. That's good. All right. Um, anything else you want to share about this particular feat and accomplishment of, of yours? Well, you know, I want to get back to the question that you asked that I, I really didn't answer. And, and you see what a softy I am? I didn't even force the matter. I just let it go. You're such a sweetie pie. <laughs> Most interviewers would hang up on me at this point. There are some papers that really are really excellent, and uh, many of them are the ones from my former students who are now professors. Uh, others of them, I, I will mention Anton Chamberlain, and I'll also mention uh, Gabriel Philbois. I, I don't like to mention any names because then I'm not mentioning other uh, people. And uh, Christian Torcell. Uh, these are uh, students that, that I've had just very, very recently. So maybe I'm more focused on them because they're more recent and I'm getting senile, so I forget my older students. But these three young men are really, really bright. Uh, it's an honor to be associated with them. It's an honor to be associated with all hundred of these students, but uh, I would pick out those three and they have several articles between them. So I'm, I'm, I, would, I would mention them uh, in, in terms of which are my favorites. Uh, they're among my recent favorites. All right. Well, let's see. Do you have this list of papers anywhere online so people can look at them? Well, you know what I could do? I could blog uh, on lourockwell.com and, and just say, here they are. Uh, take a peek at them if you want. And what I'll do when I get uh, the URL for you for this interview, I'll stick that in there as well. And maybe I'll send it to Lou to put it on on the main thing and, and not just the blog. So I'll, I'll okay. Uh, as soon as you send me the URL, I'll send it to Lou and I'll ask him what he thinks would be best to do with this. Okay. All right. So we're going to try and get that. I mean, otherwise, I can I could even take the PDF and host it on my site, and we could you could link to it there. Whatever you want to do. I mean, I would put it on WalterBlock.com if I were you. Front and center is one of my main accomplishments. But one way or another, we will get a link up there to these papers at tomwoods.com slash 1256, which is our show notes page for today. All right, well, you know what? I so, want to get Tom, you- Tom, yeah. let, let me just mention one other thing. Yeah, sure. About half of my former students' uh, papers are, are females. So I might be a sexist, and yes, I am a sexist because I believe that men are stronger than women and uh, men are um, heavier than women and whatever. But half of them are females, roughly half. I haven't counted them. I would expect at least 40 out of the 100. And then there are about five black students uh, who I'm also uh, particularly proud of because, you know, the accusation against me is I'm a racist and all. And uh, these black students can certainly vouch for me that uh, I am uh, not a racist. I, I just want to mention one guy's name. Um, oh, where the hell is he? I can't find his name. Probably you don't know him. Uh, this guy is from Ghana or one of the African countries. I forget which one. And what he wants to do is go back to that country. And uh, here it is. Uh, his name is Sastin Kajia. And he wrote a, a paper with me, Economic Development Policies in West Africa, the Case for Free Enterprise. Let me repeat that title. 
economic development policies in West Africa, the case for free enterprise. And, you know, I sort of steered him toward Peter Bauer, uh, who, who does this stuff. And and this young man uh, is getting his MBA. I was arguing with him that he'd be better off getting a PhD if he wanted to go back to his country and, you know, promote free enterprise there. And uh, I did also tell him that it might be dangerous to do that and, and you know, be careful. But I, I do want to single him out as an extremely bright kid. Uh, bright young man. Uh, I had him just as an intro student, not even as a as a um, advanced class. And uh, I gave. I must have had a hundred kids in my class, and he got a ninety-seven out of a hundred points. And the next best mark was like a seventy. So this kid is, you know, very very bright. And one of the questions that I asked was, uh, Walter Block tells good jokes in class. And uh, I said, hint, hint, the correct answer to this is yes. And he got that wrong. And he, he kept bugging me. He wanted a 98 instead of a 97. And we were sort of just uh, kidding with each other. Uh, a very, very bright young man. Uh, he wrote a beautiful paper, and it was published in a referee journal. And I expect that in five or ten years, uh, I'll hear from him. You know, uh, I had something else I wanted to share you. When, when Guido got his uh, job in France, I uh, gave him 10 years and I said, Guido, uh, I'm giving you 10 years to turn France into a free enterprise country. By the way, Guido failed and he's very ashamed of himself. Yeah, and he I, should be. He had 10 years for crying out loud. Right. You uh, were more than reasonable. Yes, 10 whole years. And, and France is still in, in the pits. And, you know, so uh, Guido uh, is off our list. Uh, he, he's a bum. He's a failure. No Christmas card this year. For Guido. Right. <laughs> Guido and I tease each other about this. You know, sometimes Lou tells me I should tell people when I'm joking, but I hope everyone realizes that I, I think very highly. <laughs> yeah, I think they do. Uh, so anyway, Sosten, that's how you pronounce his name, Sosten. I'm hoping in 10 years we hear uh, about Ghana or whichever country he's from, I forget, somewhere in the middle of Africa, that it's becoming free enterprise. And uh, I will have had some uh, uh, input into him because when I met him, he was a pinko socialist. And in, in one semester, he uh, favored free enterprise. So I'm very proud of him. And, and I give myself a pat on the back for that as well. Well, this is all great. And we should all celebrate this. It really, I mean, the next time I see you, I owe you, I don't know when that would be. I actually don't know when I would see you next, but It'll it'll be sometime. I I'm gonna buy you a meal. Oh. You get one meal for every hundred <laughs> publications you well, do with we, students. We, we see each other at the Mises University, no? Yeah, but that's so far in the future. You have to wait that long for a lousy meal. Well, yeah, I'm just I trying know. to think if there's any other thing we do together. Maybe the Austri the maybe the uh, Scholars Conference. Are you going to be at the um, what do you call it in New York? The Libertarian no, Scholars? No, I'm not because the, the 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 our cruise that we do is starts the next day, so it's it cuts uh. it too close. I see. Okay. Well, um, you know, th there'll be some other Mises. Uh, yeah, we'll figure something out. Yeah, well, whatever it is, we'll figure it out. But but thanks, Walter. Uh, check out WalterBlock.com, by the way, everybody, because you'll get a uh, sense of the sheer volume of Walter's publications. It's quite overwhelming. Thank you, Walter. And oh, yeah, and congratulations. Oh, thanks, Tom. Instead of a meal, how about letting me win a chess for a change? Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, now that, yeah, now that cheating didn't work, now you're going to just go for sympathy. Is that the new strategy? That, that's, that's it. I got to brag somehow that I beat you. That, now that taking pieces <laughs> off my side of the board didn't quite work. <laughs> anyway, I love that story, by the way, about, I have to we'll just close with this about you beating Hayek in chess, because then I yes. can say that by the transitive property, I therefore beat Hayek. 
Right. Not that it necessarily works that way, but that's as close as I'll ever come to playing well, Hayek in chess. So that's that's transitivity for you, Tom. We never accomplish much, but at least we have fun. That's right. Well, you know what? Look, before you, go, I actually want to ask you about that. How is it that you were in a situation where you're just sitting around and you say to F. A. Hayek, "Hey, you want to play some chess?" Like, how does that happen? <laughs> I forget how it started. There must have been a chess board, and he uh, sort of looked at me, and I looked at him, and we both sat down and we started playing. Ah. Okay. That's still pretty good. That's pretty good. All right. All right. Let me let you go. Thanks again. Tom, it's always a pleasure. Thanks, Walter. All right, folks, there's Walter Block for you. Now, tomorrow we got Janice Fiamengo coming back on. We talked to her about her ordeal before one of those human rights tribunals in Canada, heaven help her. And tomorrow we're going to talk about her edited volume on feminism in which men if you can believe this, men are entitled to an opinion on feminism, according to Janice Fiamengo, and she's solicited a lot of contributions from men who have had a wide variety of experiences, and it makes for very, very compelling reading and no doubt a compelling episode of The Tom Woods Show. So make sure and tune in for that, and also make sure you've got my most recent ebook, which is The Deregulation Boogeyman. Oh, deregulation caused the financial crisis. You have to be able to smash that. Everybody thinks that. You've got to be able to smash that good, and my awesome ebook will help you. So get that for free over at regulationmyths.com. We'll see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time.